Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 14. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And uh, we're glad you're with us. Uh, We're going to begin a series next week on faith. Uh, I've been working on this for a few months, and I'm very, very excited to share with you what I've discovered. Uh, What I want to do in this series on faith is look at how the Bible describes it in different people's stories. So we're going to be looking at characters from the Old Testament that are used in Hebrews 11 to illustrate faith and to dissect what they experienced and what they went through. And I'm hoping that we learn the progressive nature of faith is that there are certain things that happen to everybody who lives by faith, and then there are certain steps that you take as you progress in faith and you continue on. And so we're looking forward to that. Today's message is geared as kind of a preamble to that whole series. And I want to look at one of the controversial passages in the Old Testament about faith. It's found in Psalm 14. Uh, Let's go ahead and read the text. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as many bread and do not call on the Lord? There they, excuse me, they are there, they are overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortune of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Now, it's a unique psalm, uh, and what I want to point out to you is the first verse is one that's often used uh, to attack this position called atheism, that people say there is no God. And so we read it in 2015, and we assume that this is the argument that's being presented. But in my research, I found something fascinating most scholars believe that there would have been no atheism at the time of the writing of this. That, was, that is such a contemporary mindset that we think we're so intelligent that God was just a myth that people needed to succeed in life, so they created this mythological God when in reality it wasn't there, but that's not the case. Every culture has a God figure within it because by nature we realize we're not here on our own. So it's not really attacking atheism as we see it. What it is is it calls it foolish Uh, to believe that there is no God that is over you. See, they're not saying there's no God in existence. What they're saying is there's no need for God. There's no need to be in submission to anything. There's no need to worship anything. There's no need to be indebted to anything. You are your own creator. You're in charge of your own life. You're responsible, and it, it all works for you. But the key word for it is the word foolish. It says it is foolish to say that there is no God. And so when you read the Old Testament, you'll see the contrast between foolishness and wisdom is present throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs and Psalms and some of the prophetic writing, that they describe what a wise person does and what a foolish person does. But let's be careful, too, that we don't define the word foolish by 2015 dictionaries. The word foolish doesn't mean you're not intellectual. It doesn't mean you're stupid or uninformed. Okay? It it means you're not wise. It's... Simple definition of foolishness, according to the Old Testament, would be this. This is very simple. Foolishness is the part of your heart that's threatened by God. 
That's what's foolish, is to know God, creator of all, and be threatened by him to the point that you dismiss him, that you write him off. A wise person, on the other hand, is a person who understands how the world is ordered and who's in charge of it, and the person in charge of it isn't you and me. So when we look at uh, being wise, we're discerning. That, that's a word for our day. Look at what's going on in our culture in America today and tell me that we don't need to be discerning the time and the ways of the world. That we need to be measuring what God has said compared to what we wish he had said. Or what God has told us is compared to what the world says, it's now this way. We need to be very, very careful, circumspect about the things going on and, and choosing wisely. But I want to be careful that you understand when I talk about foolishness, this is not an us versus them. Them aren't here today. So if you're wishing someone was here to hear this sermon because they're in government or in politics or in power, and you're saying, man, I wish they heard this message, you've misunderstood your preacher today at all. Them aren't here. You are. I am. I'm talking about the foolishness that even exists in the church where people today are saying, yeah, I know this is what the Bible says, but I really agree with the way culture is going today. Be very, very careful. It's a foolish thing to say there is no God who rules over all things. Because when God has spoken, he doesn't make mistakes. And he doesn't change his mind. He knows what's best, not because he's in charge. He knows what's best because he created all of this. And only a fool says there is no God to be worshipped. There is no God to be honored. There is no God who's in charge. So if you struggle with doubts today, if you wonder if God is real, if, if every area of our life needs to be under his control, it is a battle between wisdom and foolishness. And I'm talking to people that know who the Lord is. That it's really easy to live your lives contradicting what God has spoken and said because you know a better way to save yourself. You know a better way to live your life. You know a better way to, to live this out and experience it. In fact, I think it's kind of funny that it's not that you're an idiot or unintellectual. The Bible really describes it pretty simple. We're childish. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. So it's childish to believe that there's no God needing to be worshipped. There's no uh, needing. He doesn't need us to. We need to. That there's no God out there to say that I, I'm not submissive to anybody. I can do whatever I want. I'm my own God, my own Lord, my own ruler. And the Bible says, no, it's the foolishness of a child. And we know how ch children speak. Children say, I can do it by myself. I don't need you to tell me how to do it. I want to do it my way. So I want to do is to define foolishness to a Christian audience as we attempt to understand faith with three basic principles. Number one, foolishness biblically is a willfulness that keeps us from learning the evidence of faith. Okay? It's a foolishness that keeps us from willfully learning the evidences that God has given us to live by faith. Only a fool says in his heart, there is no God I should worship. There is no God I should serve. And there is no God I should submit to. Look at verse 4. The psalmist writes, will evildoers never learn? Proverbs 18.2. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. I love my country. I'm grateful where I was born, but this would shut down every news station on television. The airing of opinions about the way things ought to be, the way things should be. I'm not saying that we're not entitled to our opinions, but most of us, including myself, need to remember nobody really cares about our opinions except us. And only a fool thinks the world's concerned about what you think about everything or what I think about everything. 
Proverbs 15, 5, a fool hates correction. Remember what you were like between the age of four and six when mom caught you trying to sneak Oreos or cookies out of the cookie jar and told you don't do it because it'll ruin your dinner. How did you respond? Thank you, mother, for providing me life and giving me everything. I will honor you. <laughs> nah, we waited till she left, and then what did we do? We took the cookie. Who's she to tell me I can't have a cookie? I'll eat the cookie and eat supper. I'll prove to her foolishness of the heart says there's no one in life I should honor. Don't tell me I can't have what I want. Don't tell me I can't do what I want. Who are you to tell me I'm wrong? It's a foolish heart. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Remember, foolishness is defined by refusing to see the evidence presented of a God who deserves our worship. I remember when our oldest son, Alex, was just a, he was a little peanut. He was probably five or six years old. And he was in the garage, and I went out there, and he turned his bike upside down, and he was fixing his tire. There was nothing wrong with his tire. And he was fixing his tire with a screwdriver. But the funny thing to me was, he had the screwdriver by the blade and was hitting it with the handle. And I walked out in the garage, and I thought, this is a cool moment. And I was just watching for a little bit. I went out to get something to drink out of the refrigerator in the garage, and I walked out, and I said, hey, what are you doing? He said, fixing my tire. I said, can I help you? And he turned demonic. With this evil look, he looked at me. He's like, I do it myself. Yeah, now you will. And I sat down with my drink because I'm as selfish as he is. And I sat down there and I watched him. And he was fixing his tire and he was hitting the tire with the screwdriver and he hit it a little bit too hard and the handle hit the rubber and hit him right in the forehead. And he went like this and then he did exactly what his mother would have done. He threw the screwdriver across the garage. And, uh, well, or maybe it was one of his parents, but he threw it across the garage and he was rubbing his head and he didn't want to cry in front of his dad, but I knew it hurt because it made a sound. And he's rubbing his head, and I looked over, and I said, hey, buddy, can I, can I help you with that? Yeah. So I fixed it the way I fixed everything. I got WD-40, and I sprayed it. That's, that's how I fixed wounds, everything. I just did it. And turned his bike over, and he started paddling around the block. And so, you know, Heather had made a law that if ever they were out of our sight, we needed to kind of walk around the house. He didn't want me following him, but I needed to make sure at every corner he made it to the next corner. And as he was going, I was kind of laughing at him. To be honest, he learned a valuable lesson. Let me help him. And as he turned the corner, a thought hit me. Maybe the Lord, maybe just me, but it said, that's you. Your son is you. You won't let anybody help you do anything. You always got to do it your way. Even if it's wrong, you'll find a reason to make it right. Am I the only one? If, you don't, if a person's not admitting it, point them out right now that they need to admit today. Okay, <laughs> some husbands are in major trouble. Foolishness is being unteachable and disrespectful to those who have given you what you have. A foolish heart says there is no God. And then the psalmist goes on to say they're vile, destructive, dangerous. Because they don't and won't acknowledge what they know in their heart is true. See, it's not atheism. It's practical atheism. To know there's a God and act like there's not. And it's foolishness. The Bible says many people doubt God because they don't like the idea that they have to submit to anybody. Foolishness is a part of our heart that's threatened by God. I'd like you to write this down or circle it if it's in your notes. Uh, Romans 1, 18-32. This is a passage, if you're not familiar with it, I'd like to describe it to you. I don't have time to unpack it this morning because of the, the length of this message. So I need to just force you into it to spend some time in it. Here's what Romans 1, 18-32. Paul's writing to the to churches, the people of Rome, and he says this to them. And see if it doesn't sound like our culture. 
When, when they see in nature the intricacy of creation alone, everybody knows inherently. It's manifestly made known to them that there is a creator. We're not it. We were born into this world. It preexisted us. And its intricacies and its beauty and its design shows intelligent design, not accidental design. We all know this. So we look for explanations of how it could happen and deny that God could have made it happen. And Paul says what happens when we see the evidence of God and we deny the evidence of God, we become our own gods or we serve other gods. And the next thing you know, we begin to define everything in life by how it makes me feel, how it makes me look, and how it makes other people believe in me. And so we get this spiral away from knowing who created it and why he gave it to us. We take this thing that we think was just created, and because it was just created, we can use it however we want. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. There's no ethical and unethical. If this is just an accident, then I can just make whatever I want out of whatever's been given to me. Or we can believe that it was created by God with intelligent design for a purpose, and discovering that purpose is why we're here. But we live in a world that says, no, 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 the the world just happened by a bunch of gases having an explosion, and so it's a free-for-all. And Paul looks at that and he says, okay, you say that there is no God, but you see creation and you know that this was created by intelligent design. People think science and Christianity are at odds with each other. No, we're not. Science can just continually proves over and over that this world, even if they want to say it was by evolutionary gases, there's an intelligent design to it that's hard to explain by accident. These illustrations make me roll my eyes, but I'm going to try one on you. If you went into a printing company and, and you just took a bunch of ink and a bunch of paper and you just threw them up in the air and splashed the ink on the paper, is it possible that what falls to the ground could be the novel Hamlet? Okay, that was a question. So I was waiting for an answer, but I've only got 14 minutes. So we'll try this again. If I threw ink and paper up in the air, is it possible that it would write Hamlet and drop it down in all of its beauty and design? Yes, it's possible. Is it probable? It would be such the smallest, the odds of it happening would be so ridiculous, you wouldn't bet your life on it, would you? Now, people who say that and go, you're rolling your eyes at me, oh, Mark, you know, he played the word possible, probable, it's not ever going to happen. Not with the the storyline and the poetry and the beautiful language that Shakespeare wrote. There's no way that's just going to happen by accident. Then how in the world can you look at our world and say it happened by a bunch of gases getting together and exploding by chance? Seasons, colors of trees, foods, animals, and everything. And we'll buy into that and then I'll say, Hamlet could happen that way. And you're like, not a chance. And yet you'll believe somebody who tells you that the beauty and order of this world happened by accident. There is evidence in creation. If we don't deny a creator, we'll understand the purposes of our faith. It's pretty simple. You see, we allow our pride to blind us of revelation because we want to do it our way. And if there is a creator God, then we might just owe him something, which is troublesome to our faith. It's why most people won't live by faith because if it's true that there's a creator God, then I owe him something and I don't want to owe anybody anything and I don't want anybody telling me what to do. The second conclusion 
of foolishness in the Bible, it's a superficiality that makes it possible for us to see our hearts rival God. Now that's a mouthful. I wrote that six weeks ago and wish I hadn't. But here's my explanation in my own head. It's a superficial response that makes it impossible for me to see that I do live by faith every day and the reason I don't want God is because I've already replaced him with a God I control. You see, when we look at it, it says the fool says in his heart there is no God because only a fool, true fool, would say it out loud. But they say it in their heart there is no God, intellectually. Well, there's too much evidence about miracles can't happen and this can't happen and this can't happen. And they were a bunch of old people who lived a long time ago who didn't have any intellectual capabilities. Seriously, you read Paul's writings in the book of the, what we call the letter to the Romans, the book of Romans. You read that and tell me that's an unintellectual man. Not a chance. But we say intellectually, there's evidence, too much evidence for me to believe. Okay. Or emotionally, we say there's too much suffering in the world for me to believe that there's a good God who cares about mankind. Say, okay. And you say, so I don't have room for faith. Because of intellect and emotions, I don't have room for faith. And that just isn't true. We all have faith. We all place faith in things. Things you can't prove. You don't have enough evidence to prove. I got in a 2,000-pound vehicle today and drove to come to church with you all today. And I drove trusting that whoever made that machine, that A, it would start when I turned the key, and B, it would stop when I pressed my right foot. I don't know how brakes work on a car. I had someone try to explain it to me in the hallway. That's not my point. If you explain it to me, I'm just going to mouth breathe and drool. I have no idea. I'm not an engineer. But I pressed a brake on that vehicle today, believing that whoever made that system, even though I don't understand it, it will stop me. And it did. You go to a doctor. You don't feel well. You walk into a doctor's office. You don't know where your doctor trained. Do you know your doctor's grade point? Do you know how well they tested? Do you know how many times they tried to test? Some of you are never going to a doctor again. (laughs) You say you don't feel well, they give you a green-colored poison. You pay too much for that poison. You take that poison as many times as they tell you to take that poison because that poison is going to kill what's ever in your body, but you don't know what it's doing to your other internal organs, and they may not know what it's doing to your other internal organs, and I'm not suggesting doctors are evil. Some of them sit here today. But you tell me you don't know how to live by faith when you go to a doctor and you take medicine. You don't know what the medicine's supposed to do. You don't know what it's going after. But you trust by faith, by good faith in them, that they're giving you what you need to survive. And you won't do it with God. What's the deal? You know how to live by faith. We do it every day. In the foods we eat, you go and buy it at the grocery store and assuming that they're, they care about your welfare. You know how to live by faith, and only a fool sees the evidence of God and turns around and says, I don't serve any gods. No, if you're not serving the God of all creation, you've chosen to replace him with something you control. Alcohol, relationships, power, money, I'm good enough. If I just live a good enough life, I'm going to live forever, and God's going to, he just loves me too much to to punish me like I deserve. That's a faith unfounded instead of a faith based on the evidence of a Jesus who came to die for every single one of us. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Remember the word heart in the Hebrew does not mean emotions or feelings. It means the totality of who you are. Your mind, your emotions, your will, it encompasses all of it. The truth is, you do not doubt everything. You blindly trust in things based on the evidence you've been given. 
And my car, I pray, stops on the way home because it stopped every time I press that lever in the vehicle. You see, foolishness in our hearts is when the truth of God threatens us. And so we deny him. You see, the challenge to our foolishness is to examine the hidden faith commitments we have. And this is what I want us to think about. When we talk about faith over the next few weeks, I'm not going to beat you up, but I want you to, to understand that there are some commitments you've learned to make by faith. I want you to try placing faith in Christ and seeing what happens. Because that's the only one that's going to reward you. So it's a willfulness that keeps us from looking at the evidence and denying it. It also is, is a stubbornness. A superficiality that makes it impossible for us to recognize we have other gods. Our checking accounts are God. Our job securities are God. Our children's successes are God. We have all these things that we think are going to save us. So thirdly, I'd like to conclude this morning by saying, foolishness can't understand the work of grace God has performed in Jesus. You see, the greatest act of foolishness is to think you're okay. And I don't mean that you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're horrible and no one should love you. What I'm saying is, well, let me ask a question. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I just got back from three straight weeks of being with over 4,500 high school kids, and they, they answer questions. So you're not going to get away with it. I'm just, we're going to fix things. Not only are we going to start church earlier next week, you're going to start answering people, okay? <laughs> no, none of you will show up again. Okay, so, so here's my question. Are you broken? Do you need someone to help you overcome you? Only... The wise person knows what a fool they've been. That's what the Bible is trying to get us to understand. The foolish lives we've chosen trying to be in control cannot save us from the things that we've done to ourselves. Not what they've done to us, what we have done to ourselves. Verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. I'm currently reading through the Psalms right now in my weekly, or my every morning when I read my Bible program for the year, I've been reading through the Psalms. And to be honest with you, sometimes when they're done, I need to take an antidepressant. It's like, oh my gosh. But you know a majority of them end in hope? There are a few that just rattle me. But most of them end with hope. They're saying the world, the enemy's after me, it's corrupt, the, the losers are winning and the winners are losing and it's just upside down and God, this isn't the way it's supposed to be and then they'll end the psalm with this. No matter how bad it is, God is bigger, God is better, God is greater, God is God. This psalm ends the same way. There's a pervasive foolishness in our culture. Remember, I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to us. It's even infiltrating the church where if the majority of people in a certain community believe a certain thing, that must make it all right. And it's pervasive. And yet, we don't want to be in submission to anybody who tells us no, so we'll follow anybody who will tell us yes, even realizing that the yes may be the worst thing to ever happen to us or someone else. Because God doesn't tell us no because he doesn't want us to have fun. God tells us no because it'll kill us. And so he says here, may the salvation that saves this world from its foolishness come from Zion. Zion was the name of a hill that was located in Jerusalem. In fact, it was the hill on which Solomon built the holy temple. And on that holy temple would be the place of sacrifices. And I just want you to catch this one theological moment, and then I'll bridge it and we'll be done. The theological moment is, if you brought a sacrifice to God because you needed him, a sacrifice to honor him for being creator, ruling, king God, if you brought a sacrifice to him, God's promise to us from the beginning of all time has been, I will meet you at the sacrifice. 
If you brought a sacrifice to the holy temple, then God would meet you on the holy seat at the altar, and he would bless you in the sacrifice. And the world says, I don't need a sacrifice, and that's where the foolishness sets in. I, I made my own choices. I live with my own choices. I'm better than most people. I try really hard. I'm generous. I try to be a good dad or a good mom. I try to be a good employee. I try to be a good citizen. I've worked really hard. There are worse people than me. I, I don't have anything to fear because I've lived a good life. That all is true. It's not enough. You're going to die in your sins if you don't meet God at the sacrifice. It's just the way it is. Not because God is up there going, no, I'm going to make you earn me. He's saying, no, no, you have avoided me. You have voided me. And I'm going to bring the presence of my son's blood onto your life, and your sins are going to be forgiven, because where there is no blood, there is no sacrifice. And God says, meet me at the sacrifice. And only the fool says, I don't need to meet God at the sacrifice. I'll take care of me. You see, remember, it's not saying there's no God at all. Foolishness is saying there's no God I should worship. There's no God I should submit to. There's no God I should honor. There's no God I should surrender to. There's no God worth giving my life to. You see, our God is not a God who threatens us. Our God is a God who directs us, who speaks to us, who sings over us, who loves us, who blesses us, who encourages us, and who says, I will meet you at the sacrifice. And only a fool sees all the evidence going on in this world and says, I don't need it. A wise person sees it and says, I'm a mess. Because, see, my God won't lie to me, and he won't tell me I'm perfect, sinless, and noble. My God looks at me and says, Mark, you're a wreck. But you're one of my favorite wrecks ever. Meet me at the sacrifice. Because what I did through Jesus, I did for you. And it's going to take faith for me to believe that that's enough. How could one guy dying 2,000 years ago make up for all the things I've tore up? Faith. I have to step beyond what I can see and hold on to what is promised and remember who promised it. And that's our hope. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He is, please allow this expression, he's toying with us. Faith is more simple than we make it, more complex than we'll ever imagine. It's tapping the brakes. God says, tap the brakes and see if I don't stop you from destruction. See if I don't deliver you to where I need to deliver you to. But it's not going to make sense to the world. Coming to church, sacrificing for other works around the world, believing in this blood, we all get angry. And we say, I don't need your bloody sacrifice. Yes, we do. Only a fool sees how corrupt this world is and where it's headed and stops and thinks that everybody just doing their own thing is going to fix it. Now it's going to be all of us worshiping and falling. You see, Christians are the first people to realize what fools they've been. That's why them aren't here today. But we are. And our message to the world is fools are welcome in the presence of God because he will reveal to them their foolishness and bring them into wisdom and life and hope. Proverbs twenty-three twelve says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. The challenge of this message is we prepare ourselves for a series. I hope, I know it's busy. I know there's travel things and vacation. And I'm going to encourage you. I don't like to do this because it makes it sound like listen to me. But I'm going to encourage you, if you don't track with us 
from July into through August in this series of faith, I'm going to beg you, if you're not here on a Sunday morning, go online and listen to it, watch it. If you don't want to see my ugly face, that's fine. I get it. Get it, podcast, listen to it. This series is instrumental for all of us. How are we going to go beyond trying to save ourselves to trusting in a God who's already done the work? What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? I just saw all of these high school kids, so many of our kids. It was so awesome to see 260-some people standing and decisions made for the Lord. And they need our help, and we need their help. We are in this together. It's about faith. Listen to what the words say again. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Let's stop being childish, right, church? Let's stop saying, I know how to live my life. Mind your own business. Get out of mine. No, we're in this together, and we need to open our hearts and our ears to what God has said so we can stand in wisdom instead of being desperate in foolishness. Let's stand together and worship. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.